So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour today on Trending. The celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda will join me in just a moment. Her and her sister have been featured their work on Access Hollywood in so many of the mainstream Hollywood areas, but she's a faithful Catholic and she's here to give us her keen wisdom and insights in the world of dating and relationships. So whether you're dating, married, in a relationship, or trying to matchmake someone, this is your opportunity to become that professional matchmaker with a little bit of guidance from Christina Pineda. We're going to discuss a couple important topics. One is, what is the family role in courtship, and does family help or hurt a relationship? We'll also discuss shacking up to break up and setting ultimatums for marriage. Do you think ultimatums are a good thing? Yes, no, would love to hear from you. Also today, we're going to talk about pheromones. That is how we've chemically altered the way men and women relate to each other and choose their partners. Also, a fascinating anthropology study on how pheromones and sexual activity has shifted for animals that are on birth control and what this tells us about humans. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio, numbers one 888 914-9149. Christina Pineda is a celebrity and royal matchmaker and co-founder of Matchmakers in the City. You can find them at matchmakersinthecity.com. Bon Jovi has recently been in the news as his son, Jake, is dating Millie Bobby Brown from, you know the show, Stranger Things. By the way, the latest season, I did not watch it, but my husband started to watch it, needed to for work, and talk about creepy, demonic dimension. That show always kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies, not just because it was a little creepy, but something felt off about it. And this season, I'm understanding, has been very off. If you watch Stranger Things and followed it through the seasons and then saw it this year, I'd love to hear from you what you thought from the beginning, what you think about it now. Uh, send me a message on social media. Follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. But I digress. So Bon Jovi and the family are a fan of their son's new girlfriend. The 18-year-old Millie Bobby Brown has been a win for Dorothea and Bon Jovi himself. Christina Pineda is here with us to talk about families and introducing a significant other, the person you're dating, to the family. Welcome back to Trending, Christina. Thanks, Timree. So good to be with you. And yes, this story brings up a question that we get frequently at Matchmakers in the City, which is, when should I introduce my significant other to my family? And how soon is too soon to introduce your family to someone who you're dating? These are really important questions because the family can play a major role in the relationship in a good way or a bad way. So in order for it to play a good, a good role in your relationship, it's important to have the proper boundaries. Something we say to everyone at Matchmakers in the City is that we want you to wait at least three months before making a relationship and someone you're dating exclusive, which means boyfriend and girlfriend status. That needs to be there before you introduce the person to your family. Are it's you saying that status needs soon. to be there? That the status yes. needs to be there or those three months? Yes. Yes. Those three months and the status. So if you don't take our advice and you make the relationship exclusive before that time, then 
I still don't think you should introduce the person to your family. I think three months at least should pass in your relationship before you involve the family. Interesting. I think that it's fascinating to see because I think that there are often two attitudes. One is just don't talk about the person you're dating at all in front of your family. Avoid, 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 avoid. Actually, I was just talking to some family friends recently and they were the mom, of course, right? The poor mom. Okay, I know my son's dating someone. I'm trying to get a little bit of information, but he's really tight-lipped about it and I'm just dying to know. And it's interesting, Christina, because I think that on the part of the family, it's legitimate curiosity, wanting to know a little bit. You know, prying and maybe overstepping some boundaries as you mentioned uh so there's one side where there's just no information these there's the other side as well where the first date the second date some people are taking you know the guy or girl home to meet mom and dad and like to spend a prolonged amount of time what's the balance there because i have seen where a lot of dynamics were on the opposite end where you introduced to someone and it creates a lot of pressure for people when it comes to deciphering the relationship becoming too attached and delaying perhaps a breakup or various behaviors because there's been too much of an entrenchment in the family definitely and as you were saying before it's important to i think it's important to bring up a person who you're dating to your family to some especially if you're really close with your mom or your dad or with one of your siblings to, and you trust that person's advice and wisdom that you would talk about maybe even, even a date you're going on. So they know I'm going to this restaurant. So if you don't hear from me by this time, check in because I, I should be at this restaurant. So it's good to include your family in that way in your dating and it's fine to just tell them whatever you want about the about your dating process about the person i think that's that's fine i don't want you to be removing information and not sharing information that you want to share with your family but the what tim ring said in the second part was it's important when someone when you introduce that person even even if you're really excited about the person and you introduce that person to your family before the the appropriate time has has elapsed in order to really see if this person is a good match for you because time is the most important indicator of a good relationship that will last if you don't allow the time then there is extreme pressure on the relationship to to continue even if you realize oh I actually don't really like this person and I don't really like spending time with this person, but I love the person's family. And that actually brings up a story of a bachelorette who I date coached, who went on this. She was actually boy, officially boyfriend, girlfriend. It was too soon to, for that title in my opinion, but they were officially boyfriend and girlfriend and they had dated for a few months, but I thought they, they made the title too soon, but still they, he planned this elaborate trip, multi-city trip for her to meet basically his extended family. And she loved them and really enjoyed that time. But she found through the trip that she really wasn't enjoying spending time with him. So she ended up after this whirlwind of meeting everyone, needing to break up with him, and it was just devastating for both people 
not just for him, for her as well, even though his family met her, but for her, it was really, it was worse than it could have been because she had really fallen in love with his family. And the recovery process took a lot longer than it could have if she had avoided doing all of that. Mm, isn't it interesting kind of to see that dynamic and how difficult it can be in the wonderful dimension of family life and having that love and that engagement but I've seen often far too many times in particular on the part of a woman where she introduces a man into her family and then has a really hard time when she's ready to break up with him because she feels bad perhaps the family's been a good role model on him or perhaps you know there's been just this these relationships that have developed and she goes wow you know if I break up you know they're losing that dynamic that can't really be there in the same way necessarily anymore so it can make for really complicated uh, i think situations often but it's funny we were talking earlier and you mentioned how this reminds you a little bit of how to lose a guy in 10 days the kate hudson movie yes if you've seen the movie you know that kate hudson is on a first name and phone calling basis with matthew mcconaughey's mom and she, this just points out, don't become best friends with your significant other's family members. It creates this strange power play and will make things harder should you break up as evidenced by the story that I just told you about the bachelorette. And this also comes down to the fact that the man has to decide to marry you not his family. A lot of times a woman will say, oh, but what if I ingratiate myself with a family? What if they love me? Then he won't break up with me because he'll see how well I fit. And that's not the way it works. That's actually a manipulative attitude. And I know most women are not trying to be manipulative, but it is if you look at it. And the man actually feels emasculated if he thinks that you're trying to get him to be with you because of you becoming so close with his family. Just bear that in mind. Women, for, for whatever reason, this is more of a temptation for us than it is for men. That's why I recommend the man bringing it up, bringing up, introducing you to his family and actually meeting his family before you introduce him to your family. And I guess in an extreme case where his family lives is international and it's impossible to see them for a year plus, that might be different. But in most cases, let him take the reins with family. And you're saying on both sides. Yes. So if you introduce mm -hmm. him to your family and vice versa to allow it to be him who does that. I think that's interesting because I do think that some, although I think both sides feel pressure when meeting the, the significant other's family, sometimes it's a little different for the man, especially because he's traditionally the person who proposes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's why I even say for women, I, I really don't think they need to be spending that much time with your family to begin with. And it's, I think it's totally fine to wait until you know that this is someone who you want to be engaged to. And it could even be, if, they, if your parents live out of state, it could be you wait for them to meet your man until he wants to ask for their blessing to marry you. So 
that's fine. As long as you are doing a really good job of being discerning and taking your time in the relationship and talking to trusted friends, trusting relatives, trusted relatives to make sure that this is, and praying about it, obviously talking to your spiritual director, making sure that this is a really good man for you to be with. If your family or his family live close by, I say keep it to occasional visits where it's not a long drawn out thing where you, or even regular things where you see them until you're engaged. I don't think I just, it's really hard if you start doing Sunday dinners together, it's going to be really challenging to break up with that person after that. This is interesting because this also follows on a piece of matchmaking advice that you've given that I don't think many people uh, really subscribe to or follow in our current culture. It tends to be that when people date, uh, they tend to date and be all inclusive in one another's lives, spending every single day together, every single damn moment. Again, there are many different relationships. So I think we see a lot of this. There's a desire. And I think part of this is because of the delay in getting married, that people are trying to you know, intertwine their lives and what they really are looking for is marriage, but they're delaying that. So it makes sense. What you're saying makes sense if you follow the context of what you recommend, which is really only spending maybe, you know, a chunk of time one or two times a week with the person you're mm-hmm. dating, which is a lot less than I think what many people think today. So that makes sense within yes. the context of the limited time with family because you're already supposed to be rationing and having a sense of self-control with how much time you're spending with the person you're dating that's not your spouse yet. Exactly. And that's why you can look at college relationships that you're a lot of times these people are seeing each other every single day and most of them end after a month because it's too much too soon. You don't want to follow that paradigm. You want to follow the slow and steady one where you wait until a year max um, and a year. Yeah. A year is a good time to get engaged. Um, I would say, I, I know other people disagree with that, but we like to say it's good to see the person in all four seasons. And the goal is when you're dating, you want to you want to meet someone who you eventually want to get married to. So you're dating with a purpose. And if you are disciplined with the time that you spend with the person you're dating and the time you spend with your, that person's family, it will be a lot, you'll be a lot closer to the finish line than if you think, Oh, I need to do, I need to see this person all the time. It's, it's really interesting. It's kind of like a sprinter versus a long distance runner. You're not a long distance runner is not going to sprint in the beginning of the race. The long distance runner knows how to keep his pace. So that's this journey to marriage is a long distance run, not a sprint. Quickly, I'd like to hear kind of some of your quick tips on those interactions with family from boundaries to good things to know how to kind of interact and do when you're meeting the significant other's family. Yes. So I already mentioned limit time spent together. Something that is a really nice gesture is to send a thank you note after you visit the family, a written handwritten thank you note that goes a long way. Another thing is to avoid sharing your deep, dark secrets with the person's family. And especially for those people who are just an open book and open hearted. You just want to connect with people. Women typically have more of a a tendency to this than men, but I really recommend 
even with dating, to write a list of topics that are appropriate for the first few dates of a relationship and then uh, some topics that are better for later down the line. I would do the same thing for the person's family of topics that are appropriate for someone's family when you're not actually married and then things that you'll save down the line if you're one of those people that tends to overshare. And of course, be kind, but always keep a level of formality, especially when you're not the person's wife yet. So you want to be very kind and polite, but, and gentle and loving, but you're not the family's therapist. You don't want to cross the line into just know what your role is a girlfriend or a boyfriend at that time. You're not the the son-in-law or daughter-in-law yet. That's celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda coming back. We're going to talk about shacking up to break up and setting ultimatums for marriage. Also, during our weekly marriage hour today on Trending, I'll talk about pheromones and how we've chemically altered the way men and women relate to each other and choose partners. I'll discuss an anthropological study on how pheromones and sexual activity have shifted for animals on birth control and what this tells us about humans. So stay with me. I'll be right back here on Trending. Our show sponsor, Colby Academy, invites you, your spouse, and children to their nationwide virtual open house. Visit colby.org to register before July 19th. Learn more at home with colby.org. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Yesterday here on Trending, we talked about a recent study that came out for the Institute for Family Studies on how people who marry in their 20s and who have faith and don't move in together before marriage actually have a higher rate of happiness in marriage and are divorce-proofing their marriages. Joining me now during our weekly marriage hour, talking everything dating, relationships, and marriage, is celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda. She's the founder of Matchmakers in the City. You can find them at matchmakersinthecity.com. Now, Christina, I want to talk about this whole idea of moving in together from a couple different perspectives, including ultimatums and breaking up to get married. Uh, you shared with me that you recently had a couple that practiced their faith and they were struggling. They actually moved in together. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Yes, yes. So this was a remarkable story. And this couple lived together before they were married. They were both practicing Catholics and very into their faith. But, and I think they did it to mostly save money. They wanted to, they, they thought that they were, had enough self-control to live as brother and sister, be celibate, but still live together. And unfortunately it, they said it, it was mostly celibate because the temptation is so great when you're living with someone of the opposite sex, right. especially someone who you're in a relationship <laughs> with. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and don't it's putting yourself and, in your occasion, right? Mm-hmm. It is. And so they were living together, but he just wasn't proposing. So she prayed about it and decided that they needed to break up. So she broke up with him and she was very upset about this. But obviously she knew they that also she had to make moved that. out as well, right? Yes, exactly. They moved out, out, out of living with each other. And yeah, it was, and that's even harder because you're used to seeing the person every day. And that's another reason why you shouldn't live together because if you break up, it's going to be even harder. But she knew she had to do this and he was, he was very complacent. And we've talked about this before. Men do tend to get complacent and not change things if they're basically fine. They're getting what they're, they're getting their desires met. They're, they're happy. They don't need to make any major changes. He didn't have the push to marry her because he was already living with her. Now he recognizes that he needed that kick in the behind from her to wake him up, shake him up and make him think and pray. He spent the last year that, that year that they were apart, he spent praying and discerning the future and reflecting on their relationship. She did too. She attempted to move on, but it just didn't seem like anything was, any relationship was going in the, in the right direction. So after a year, he calls her up and, and they saw each other and then he asked her to marry him. And on the first now interaction, with beautiful children. I wow. think so. Wow. <laughs> but this isn't. He the was norm. very clear at that point. No, right. it isn't. This, I mean, in so no. many ways, this isn't the norm. One, moving in together and in, intending to be chaste, being mostly chaste, you know, not engaging in intimacy, and then ending that. I mean, the statistics that go against this that most people who move in together don't end up getting married and if they do they end up divorcing versus this is a couple who had religious use they were doing it to uh, try and save money which again is a common excuse but they really were trying to live chastely though imperfectly at times and this isn't the norm but i think that it proposes really an important thing such as the fact that although she didn't exactly it doesn't sound like she gave him an ultimatum in a certain respect she did by saying okay you're not proposing I've been living here we're trying to live chastely it's not happening so this is over as hard as it is for me and it brings up the question are ultimatums good in relationships yeah and I think sometimes they're necessary it sounds brutal but he, as I said, he needed a kick in the butt to know that he needed to make a decision. He couldn't just stay in this limbo place. He needed to either marry her or move on, which is that Netflix show that you had brought up to me, to Marie. I just watched the, uh, the trailer for it and it looks pretty awful, but I do like the title. <laughs> yes and so marry me or move on is a netflix show with nick lachey and vanessa lachey together and it's interesting because the first season came out this year marry me or move on was a theme the next season they've kicked in for a second season and it's supposed to be 100 percent queer uh, but i think that they hit the nail on the head in a certain respect of what they were talking about people who are waiting around in a relationship 
for someone to marry them and they're just waiting. And so although I haven't seen the show, I thought the premise of it was telling because we live in a culture, especially uh, today, where we talked about this in two perspectives, Christina, one from the perspective of where I think a lot of the time is in particular men, but women too, uh, have a fear of commitment. And so they don't propose, they don't propose, they drag the relationship on and on. Uh, On the other end, I caller called and I thought it was a really valuable perspective. He said, I think you're giving men the men kind of the short end of the stick here. He said, I don't think it's just that men are uh, fearing commitment, but it's also they're doing a cost benefit analysis. 50 percent of marriages end in divorce and the children usually go to the woman so i think men think you know i have a lot more to lose by proposing and so with this whole idea of ultimatums and even shows like the nick and vanessa lachey show marry me or move on i think that it shows kind of the importance of ultimatums uh, for showing self-respect for yourself in a relationship, uh, but also setting practical guidelines of expectation to help that relationship thrive and not to try and make someone be your servant. Yes. And the ultimatum that everyone should have is you will not move in and live with the person until you are married. That is a great ultimatum to have so that you don't have to go through the drama that this couple had to go through. Yes, they ended up working out, but there's a lot of turmoil that could have been avoided that they say could have been avoided if they hadn't moved in together in the first place. So if you have that self-respect for yourself, knowing that God's going to provide for me, I don't need to fear about, oh, but I would save so much more money and maybe I won't be able to make it. The Lord will provide for you since you're honoring the way he wants you to do dating and marriage. And as we mentioned before, you claim that you might live together celibately as brother and sister, but this isn't a good idea. Even the couple we talked about were religious practicing Catholics, but they had a very hard time keeping celibate. Timory said, you're playing with fire. The temptation is too great. And saving money is not worth it because your soul is at stake. So have that practical ultimatum that the only person you're going to live with is your future, is your husband or your wife. And that includes even when you're traveling together, that you're not staying in the same room together. This is everywhere. I'd be interested, Christina, if, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Christina Pineda, celebrity and royal matchmaker from Matchmakers in the City. You can find them at matchmakersinthecity.com. But you work with secular clients as well. I'm going to guess probably predominantly secular clients, not exclusively or primarily religious. And I'd be I'm always interested to hear because you come from a faithful perspective. Your faith forms and informs how you are guiding people through relationships and you're helping to build successful, effective relationships and marriages. And it's with Catholic principles such as not living together before marriage, not engaging in sexual intimacy before marriage. You know, all of these things are so important. How do your clients, in particular your secular clients, usually respond to these guidelines for success that you're giving them and in the end maybe how it appeals to religious guidelines for relationships and love yes it's really interesting because 
usually whatever religion or not religion the person has, what we're saying just makes sense. And whether it's from their practical experience of the, for themselves or maybe seeing it with friends and seeing their relationships crash and burn if they do it in a different way, there, there are many examples, practical examples out there of people seeing that living together before marriage doesn't work and creates more divorces and reading the statistics that are mostly done by secular organizations anyway. So it just shows that God's blueprint for marriage and relationships and dating is the most practical and protecting of the individuals, um, the individuals who are both taking part in a relationship. So it's best for everyone. And yes, we do. So most of the time, people will listen to this, people who are open. And I usually only share this with people who I know are are, re- are just ready to hear this because there are some people who are very closed off to anything that isn't their own way. But most of our members are open and they just listen and they let it sink in and they see the truth and the value in this. It's harder, so it's easier to accept it when you're single. I we had a had a couple who we had told this to, and then she it was a bachelorette who we were matchmaking, and she got into a relationship with I think it was even her first match, and they just really hit it off. They it got to the point where they were want talking about engagement and wanting to, but he, I guess wanting to test things out as they all say before that would happen. So she ended up saying that, okay, fine, we'll, we'll move in. And she ended up coming back for, to us, to me specifically for a date coaching session. (laughs) And I told her, I just reiterated what we had talked about before because she was very frustrated that she felt like, okay, we're living together now and he's not bringing me flowers. He's not doing any of the nice things that he used to do. He's not courting me. He's not asking me to go to restaurants with him. It just feels like I'm his wife, but I'm actually not. And I really want to have kids, but he doesn't seem to be in a rush like I am. So now I'm nagging him to marry me, which is the worst Mm. situation for a woman to be in. There was a lot of anxiety in her when I spoke with her. So I tried to give her some tips, but it comes down to that person needing to put a boundary down. And if they're not open to doing that, then we we can't do much. So that's just a little story of someone who didn't actually follow it because it's harder when you fall in love with someone and you want to make it work in the best way possible. But the moral of the story is, If it's real love, like it was with the couple I mentioned earlier, the man will come back and the man will ask you to marry him. If he loves you, he will marry you. If he doesn't, then he won't. There we go. It's as simple as that. 
And it speaks volumes again to the difference in relationships. One relationship was striving for chastity, for saving sex or marriage. One, it sounds like, was not striving for that. And again, this study that came out from the Institute for Family Studies, new study shows the paradox of religious marriages, how young marriages in their tw- early 20s are leading to happier marriages and divorce-proof marriages. This is the good news. This is why faith is so important. I think this speaks volumes to a culture that's afraid of commitment, afraid of relationships, that through faith, through religious principles, through the grace of God guiding relationships and calling men and women into their mission, this is how we have happy marriages and permanent marriages. And that's what's so important. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today on Trending. You can find her at matchmakersinthecity.com. We'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. She's also tagged on social media. Coming up, I'm going to talk about pheromones and how we've chemically altered the way men and women relate to each other and choose partners. Do you know what pheromones are? They're really fascinating. It's the way that we're attracted to one another kind of in a way like smell and hormone combined into one and you actually seek out a spouse or a significant other based on this we'll talk about it in a moment we'll also discuss an anthropological study a couple of them in fact uh, diving into the connection of pheromones and sexual activity and how it shifted for animals on birth control and what this tells us about humans so i'll be right back love to take your questions on social media just follow me at timmery that's t-i-m-m-e-r-i-e This hour is sponsored by Solidarity HealthShare. Join thousands who choose ethical and affordable healthcare. Go to catholichealthshare.com. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. What I'm about to tell you, some of it is absolutely shocking. We're going to get into some anthropological studies and very interesting things about humans and how we relate to one another. It's our weekly marriage hour here on Trending, and as always, we're talking about things that impact dating relationships and marriages. Do you know what pheromones are? Pheromones. It's really interesting if you're not aware of pheromones. I remember when I first learned about these in high school and my mind was blown. They have to do with how we chemically relate to one another via smell. So the word pheromone, it helps to kind of break it down in the Greek. The word pheromone is a combination of two Greek words, pharon, which means to carry, and hormone to excite. So pheromone has to do with this idea of carrying and exciting something. So through our scent that we don't really understand that we're perceiving, um, we are able to carry and excite in others and receive that from somewhere else. Uh, This means that helps us in a certain law of attraction of how we relate to one another, searching out for an intimate partner to continue our race, to have children. It's fascinating on a very biochemical, physiological level, how the bodies work to complement one another. And this appeals to the complementarity of the human person. So pheromones are there for helping to determine if someone of the opposite sex would make a good match for you. Now, what's fascinating is that usually when someone is uh, just 
not taking, let's just be real, we're going to talk about hormonal contraception. When someone is not on any type of hormonal contraception and, and there's no contraceptive exposure for them, which we'll maybe mention that in a moment, what happens is normally when you're looking for a partner, you're looking for a partner that is different from you on a level of multiple things, but in particular, including things such as immune system and chemistry so that when you mate with someone, uh, you're coming together and you're not necessarily creating a human person that has, where both of you have really similar genetics that uh, basically these pheromones are helping to lead you to engage in intimacy with someone, creating a human being that has a decreased likelihood to have uh, various genetic disorders because you're looking for someone who is a complement and having differences from you. It's really fascinating. We've researched this in the animal kingdom and we see it in humans as well. The body naturally orients toward attracting towards someone that would make the best offspring essentially. Now this is really interesting because on a eugenics level level in via surrogacy and via in vitro fertilization, we're trying to do this on our own without the natural process of the human body being a part of it. We're selectively choosing and killing babies at times through the IVF abortion process and through surrogacy and We'll actually talk a little bit about surrogacy tomorrow here on Trending. Khloe Kardashian is having a second baby and via a surrogate. So we'll talk about that because it is an interesting and important topic to discuss, especially with a struggle for fertility and infertility, which we'll also discuss tomorrow. So get your questions ready. Send them in to me now because we'll have a fertility specialist here on Trending tomorrow. But back to pheromones. So essentially pheromones are really important because they have to do with how we relate to one another on a chemical level, creating chemical chemistry that is sort of like kind of going around sniffing people and determining whether or not they're a good match. Now, take us back to the watering hole and how many people used to meet each other at the watering hole in primitive cultures or today at the bars for some, but let's take this back to feeding troughs. There's some fascinating research coming out of the Smithsonian from an Israeli researcher talking about pheromones in pig saliva. Now, funny and gross all at the same time, but this is how important pheromones are. When pigs are eating in the feeding trough together, what happens is the pig saliva is coming off, and for pigs, the pheromones are carried in their saliva. And when a pig, a male pig and a female pig, find their saliva pheromones complementary to one another at the feeding trough, well, the female pig then knows to present her rump to the male pig. What I'm saying here is it's interesting to see how the pheromones in animals and the pheromones in human beings function. Gentlemen, ladies, please don't do that. It's not the way to go to a feeding trough, to a watering hole. And <laughs> my, my producer is killing me here with the bacon jokes. I cannot take this. Okay, the level of inappropriate right now with bacon jokes is just going way too far. I digress. So what's interesting about all of this is that when someone takes hormonal contraception or is exposed to contraception, this is what we're seeing is being impacted. Pheromones. So my mom used to joke in high school like, hey, is a person you're interested in, does that person smell good to you? And funny enough, I remember talking to a family member 
who, you know, struggled and was in and out of various relationships. And he'd always say this one woman who he kept finding himself back in a relationship with that he knew wasn't a good relationship for him. He always said, yeah, like, I didn't ever thought she smelled good. Like, there's something about her that just didn't sit right. And he knew he shouldn't be in the relationship. Well, interestingly enough, I remember when we were talking through the situation, it really seemed to come down to this issue of pheromones and even the tie into contraception. So here's what's fascinating. Contraception alters how men and women to relate to one another when it comes to their pheromones. There are a couple really interesting studies I want to unpack with you. One is a t-shirt study. The National Center for Biotechnology Information for the United States National Library of Medicine has some of this research talking about how basically when a woman, they took women and they had them uh, they had them basically, uh, some of them were on contraception, some of them were not. What they did is they took the t-shirts, uh, they took a bunch of men and they had them sweat and work out and do various things in their shirts to get them all stinky and sweaty. Because for, although for pigs, they release their pheromones in their armpit area. For human beings, we release our armpits in our or we release our armpits, we release our pheromones in our armpits area and our groin area. Now, these two areas, essentially, especially with the use of t-shirts, they had the men sweat in their t-shirts. They then gave the t-shirts to all these different women to smell these stinky sweaty t-shirts and the women had to rate these t-shirts and say which ones they were interested in which ones they weren't well what they were sniffing for wasn't just does this person have a good bo bad bo the right cologne the wrong deodorant no none of that what they were monitoring was the interest in pheromones now what happened was women who were not on birth control were looking for smells that basically led to complementary smells. Men with good immune systems. Uh, women who were fertile were looking for ge the genes of men who had good, healthy immune systems. Uh, but when contracepting, women were looking for similar biological chemistry, and they were looking. Uh, they were disinterested in complementarity when it came to genetics. But also what some of the research has shown is that women when they're contracepting are also interested in men with pheromones who are less faithful in their behavior, men who become dissatisfied with partners, all these things that were really interesting. So what we know in some of the connection to the research on contraception pheromones, what it shows is that we know when a woman's taking hormonal contraception, her body's in what's known as a state of pseudo-pregnancy. Some of the contraception works to try and trick the body into thinking it's already pregnant so it won't and can't get pregnant. This is part of the reason why some of the symptoms for women who are on birth control can be some of the worst symptoms that some women who are pregnant experience. Well, what's happening is, is that the woman, when she's pregnant, it usually tends to be that when a woman's pregnant, she looks to spend time with people who are familiar to her, in particular family, who have similar chemical makeup as her because she's looking for something familiar and what, God willing, coming from a good family, would be safe. This is what the body's orienting toward. But when she's not on hormonal contraception, her pheromones are normal. She's looking for a chemical 
compliment. So what's interesting, especially if someone comes from, let's say, an abusive or unhealthy family relationship and they're taking hormonal contraception. When you're on hormonal contraception, you're actually going to be interested in people more similar to your family members, which in particular might not necessarily be a good thing if you come from a not so great family. So women who are on contraception don't choose the same type of men they would if they were on contraception. This is why we're running into a major crisis. Women women are on contraception. They then get married at a certain point. They decide that they don't want to be on contraception anymore. Next thing you know, they are starting to have normal ovulating cycles. Their their hormones and their pheromones have shifted and they're interested in different pheromones than the situation that they put themselves in and their partner's Their spouses often tend to be not as interesting to them. So what we're seeing is a lower success rate in marriages where people have been contracepting beforehand because the interest shifts and changes based on the chemical complementarity that was meant to be there. Some of the research is absolutely fascinating. What we're seeing essentially is that through hormonal contraception, we're changing the very law of attraction that's written into our chemistry, trying to create healthy children and healthy relationships. And I think that a lot of this reveals to us the importance of talking about healthy relationships, healthy practices, such as not using contraception. But also, it does make the case for, we know there are a lot of endocrine disruptors out there today, and one of them includes the fact that our water has been significantly impacted by the shedding of hormonal contraception through, via urination into the blood, into the water system. Um, and what we're seeing is that in studies such as Colorado study and around the world, there's a high level of hormones, estrogen and progesterone are in our drinking water that's impacting women's fertility, but also could be impacting as well our pheromones and how we are relating to to one another. Now, tie this for a moment because I think it's really interesting to connect to. An anthropology study that I read by anthropologist Lionel Tiger. He has a fascinating book, by the way, Decline of the Male, that gets into a lot of animal studies and the connection to humans. Some of this stuff is absolutely fascinating. But one of his studies points out how pheromones and sexual activity has shifted for animals on birth control and what this tells us about humans. So what he did is he reveals the study of a tribe of macaque monkeys in the Caribbean island. And he studies the tribe's leader, the male leader, Austin, who's an alpha male that in, if you don't know this, monkeys are rather active when it comes to intimacy and usually tends to have three exclusive partners. Well, what happened was really interesting because the monkey usually only has three exclusive partners. What they did is they were able to study a little bit of contraception use in these animals. So Austin, the alpha male has three exclusive partners. Well, what they do is they take two of the monkeys, the female partners, and they give them the common birth control Depo-Provera. Well, what happens is we see a change in the libido for Austin and the monkeys. And what happens is, is that Austin still continues to mate with three female monkeys, but the two that had been given Depro-Provera were replaced, switched out with two others after having been exclusive for a long time with those three. 
Well, after this trend continued, the researchers tried something new. They gave all the female monkeys Depo-Provera. Well, what happened is Austin, the alpha male monkey, ceased mating with all the female monkeys, not just those three, but all of them. While monkeys are very active in that area when it comes to intimacy, uh, the male monkeys became confused when all the female monkeys were no longer interacting in the same way with their fertility and with their pheromones. So what happened is all the male monkeys became confused. They began, get this, this is what's shocking about this study and kind of a lot of gross, but I think it's interesting in connection to society. So the male monkeys began interacting with one another, you know what I mean? And they also, even if they interacted with the female monkeys, they were not having completed intercourse with the female monkeys. What does this say about the vast majority of females since the 1960s? Well, one, we've seen a massive change and decrease in libido for men and women, particularly women. Men still more interested, women not so interested, and men not interested in the same type of women. What we've also seen in the last 50 years has been the sudden onset of an increase in same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria. Men who just, although they want to date and marry women, are stepping out of the dating game because they're just not interested in the women they are seeing out there or interacting with. What's happening? Well, because of hormonal contraception, we've completely altered the way men and women relate to one another on a biochemical level. The bodies are being tricked and manipulated. And as we saw with this monkey study, it's not just leading certain monkeys not be interested in certain female monkeys that are on contraception. It's also leading male monkeys to be confused about their sexual orientation and to be confused and interacting with one another and not completing interaction with opposite sex. All of this is fascinating, a little kind of a lot gross, but it's telling of exactly what's happening in society and how widespread and massive the fallout of contraception has been. It is a group one carcinogen impacting and damaging women's bodies. It leads to an increase in the risk of stroke, migraine, depression, anxiety, nervousness for women. It leads women to choose bad partners for themselves. And then when they no longer want to be on contraception, they resent and regret those partners. You see, women have a massive fallout that's occurring today because of contraception use. But no one wants to talk about it because it's, quote, a private issue. It's an issue that belongs between two people in the bedroom. But the truth of the matter is, is that it's destroying marriages. It's hurting women. If we want to be feminist, we need to tell the truth about things that hurt women's bodies and hurt women's relationships. And so I hope that this unpacking of what pheromones are is enlightening and inspires you especially if you have children or friends to discuss these things on a very simple and clear level